I'm glad you're here today. You're joining us for a new series that we started last week called How to Make the Most of a New Year. If you want something you've never had, you got to do something you've never done or that you're not doing. I was trying to think of a a Chinese monk was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and he he taught Chinese culture. And he made this statement. He said, you Christians teach your children to pray wrong. You teach them to pray if I should die before I wake. He said, you ought to be telling them to pray if I should wake before I die. You know, some people have never lived in a whole life. Tony Campola, who was a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, I preached with him a number of times, and a Christian author as well as a speaker, said that he once asked one of his students, son, how old are you? And he was doing it to make a point, and the kid said, I'm 22. And he says, what do you mean? The kid said, what do you mean when you say, you know, what's my age? And he said, no, no, how long have you, how long have you lived? And the kid said, 22 years. And Tony said again, no, that's how long blood's been pumping from your heart to your body. But you might really have only lived an hour or a day or a week out of 22 years. And so we want to challenge people to live your best life now. You know, get on this thing now. Don't wait. It, wake up, Rumpelstiltskin, before life just passes you by. And we ought to be the most hopeful people in the world, regardless of circumstances, because God said to every believer in Christ, I'm going to give you a hope and a future. So there are no hopeless situations in this room. There are no hopeless marriages, no hopeless people, no people with no hope, no matter how bad things might be at the moment. I got a future. You have a future. And you either believe that or turn on the news, you know, one or the other. So we want to be merchants of good news. So God says, if you're going to do something different to reshape your life this year, He's given us a formula. And I'm quoting from Genesis 8, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall never cease. God says four things will never, ever change. We, we, we know that a lot of things do change. Technology is changing. The culture is changing. The price of oil is changing. Stocks go up and down. Fashion changes. A couple of you guys don't know that, but fashion changes. <laughs> Hairstyles change. A lot of, lot of ch- things change r- very rapidly. But we saw that the law of seed time and harvest impacts every area of our lives, not just our financial area, but every area of our life. Just as day and night affects every one of us, seed time and harvest affects every one of us. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now if you go to church a lot, that scripture is usually used in a negative sense for judgment. But it was strictly an agricultural term. It can be applied good or bad. It's not a judgment verse. It's a reality of agriculture. If you sow wheat, you're going to get wheat. You're not going to get watermelons. And if you sow apples, you're going to get apples. If cats sow cats, you get cats. Cats don't produce dogs. Humans don't produce hippopotamuses. Every species, every seed reproduces after its own kind. So it's, it's a law of nature, and it affects everybody. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. No one on earth can escape this principle of seed time and harvest. Whatever a man sows, he gets to choose. That's what he's going to reap. And when you look at a life in front of you full of chaos and confusion and disorder, guess what they just told you? I'm a lousy farmer. I'm a lousy farmer of life. That's exactly right, because life is not meant to be in chaos and disorder. God is not the author of confusion, of chaos. So God did not make that happen. Agriculturally, spiritually, you did, by failing to obey this law. 
So we saw this law is in operation as long as the earth remains. And like day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter, it, it impacts everybody regardless of your age, your race, your sex, or your IQ. If you're on planet earth right now, you are being affected by all four. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, day and night, summer and winter. And if I was God, I'd just have perpetual summer. That's just me. That's just me. A lot of things are changing all the time, but seed time and harvest, day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter remain the same. And seed time and harvest works the same for everyone. And anyone means you're the one. The only escape from seed time and harvest, day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter, is to leave planet Earth. And that's not a good thing either, is it? So, from Genesis 1, we saw that seed time and harvest brings order to our lives, and it limits chaos, confusion. So we can use this law to bring order and peace to our lives and limit chaos. You can't totally eliminate things that happen in circumstance, but I can take some control and limit their operation in my life, my health, my finances, my marriage, my business, your ministry. God's given us some tools that will work. These are not tools to get to heaven, seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest is how to get a little bit of heaven on earth, to get a little bit of order and peace in your life. And some of you need a whole lot of it. So every day, every single one of us is living in seed time and harvest so I can bring order and peace to my life. So here's two questions this morning. Number one, why don't we use it more? And number two, why don't we see more seed time and harvest results in our lives? So let me give you five or six reasons. Number one, we don't sow our best seed. Oh, we sow. We sow. But we don't sow our best seed. When conflict arises in your marriage, you get a chance to sow seed. But you decide, nah, I'm not going to sow my best seed. So you hold back. You sow, but you could have done a lot better. Anybody ever done that? Any of you married folks? I could have done better. Yeah, you just lying. You could have. So what happens? Well, you reap. You get a crop, but you don't get the best harvest. You might get a 30-fold return. You could have gotten a 60 or a 100-fold return. Why? You didn't sow your best seed. Now remember in Genesis 1:29, God said, I want you to sow your seeding seed. Seeding seed is your best seed. When a farmer looks at his crop, he takes the tallest corn, grabs that seed, puts it in the barn, or the thickest, uh, most full wheat and grain, and he puts that in the barn. Why? He's going to, he likes that championship corn or wheat, so that's going to be his seed for next year to get that kind of a crop. You, you don't find anybody paying a high price to have their horse mate with some old swayback mule. They pay millions of dollars to have a, a Kentucky ch champion or a Preakness champion. They want the bloodline of that, that animal in their horse to reproduce after its kind. Endurance, muscle, uh, a champion. They breed, right? Yeah. Folks, this is not difficult, okay? This is… This is, this is going to affect you, not the horse, but the, the idea about breeding, about seed, about sowing and reaping. So when you go to work tomorrow, sow your best seed. Well, my boss doesn't appreciate me. So what? Your boss isn't in charge of seed time and harvest. God is. The only one in charge is you and God. Even the devil cannot stop the law of seed time and harvest, day and night, summer and winter, or cold and heat. If he could, he would, and he'd wreak and wreck this entire world with chaos. But he cannot. It's a law of God. So sow your best seed. Didn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, didn't Daniel, didn't Joseph, who were all in bitter circumstances, taken captive in another country, uh, not treated with premier uh, VIP treatment, but were slaves, did not they give their very best, even in Potiphar's house, Joseph sowed his best seed, got promoted over the whole place. Then he got thrown in prison falsely, got a bad deal, instead of sucking his thumb and calling ACLU or somebody, he just said, I'm going to be the best you ever saw, and he got promoted. And he became prime minister. Seed time and harvest. Even the devil couldn't stop it, and he can't stop it with you. So your circumstances aren't the issue. The issue is you. If you want to reap this great harvest, you got to sow your best seed. 
Now, Jesus said, I am the Lord of the harvest. And doesn't it say in 1 Corinthians 3 that we labor together with Him in the field? So we're the sowers, but the Lord is the one who produces the harvest. So in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He gave the harvest. So consider sowing your best seed in your marriage, in your relationships, in your health, in your job, in your finances, in your walk with God. Always be thinking, what's the best seed I can sow? Now I'm quoting from Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1 through 3. This is by Solomon, and here the wisest man on earth speaks. Cast your bread on the water, for you will find it in 16 minutes. No, it doesn't say that. That's American Christian TV. Nonsense. Said, you put it on the water, and you'll find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall be. And I want to say, duh, yeah. All right? So the absolute simplicity of assurance is that as certain as a tree will lie where it falls, cast your bread on the water, it will come back to you after many days. Now, we don't argue about a tree lying where it falls, but our minds will argue about casting our bread on the water. So God says, you don't argue about a dumb tree. Don't argue about the bread coming back to you. And don't forget, after many days. It's usually, could be, but it's usually not instantly. Number two, why don't we get a better harvest? Because we observe the wind and the clouds. Ecclesiastes 11.4, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the falling price of oil shall not reap. No sowing, no reaping. Now, while you're watching the wind and clouds, God says you won't sow. Remember, as long as the earth remains, four things will never stop. Day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter, seed time and harvest. Does it say anything about wind and clouds in that verse? No. Why? Because they change. You, you can have no wind and no clouds. You can have no wind and clouds. You can have clouds and no wind. But when you wake up tomorrow, I guarantee you, you will have day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter, sea time and harvest. That's a guarantee. Wind and clouds represent circumstances, and they're always changing. The administration, the government's always changing. The culture is always changing. Laws are always changing. But what God said will never change is immutable, and it's eternal. God says, I'm going to give you something to shape your future. So God says if we watch every situation and circumstance to decide we're going to do something God tells us to do, you'll never do it. You'll never sow. Here's Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4 in the Living Bible. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. So there's never a perfect time to get married, a perfect time to have children, a perfect time in business, a perfect time in anything. That is just an illusion. There's no such thing. And God says, if you wait for that, well, I want to wait till I get the right one. And by the time you're about 98, you figure out, I got the right one, but he can't walk. <laughs> Whoopie-doo. How silly it is. Well, Rick, when my wife treats me better, I'll put something into the marriage. Well, Sparky, you're going to have a long wait. You'll never get anything done waiting for perfect conditions. And unfortunately, we do it in our jobs, our relationships, our walk with God, and in our finances. Well, when I get more time, I'll go to church. Well, if you wait for perfect conditions, you ain't never coming. Oh, you'll come once in a pine box down here to the front when they drag you in here. One old spinstress who is never married put in her will that she wanted her pallbearers to be all women. And the uh, funeral director says, well, that's a very strange request. I've never had that before. 
He said, why do you want all women pallbearers? The old lady looked up and says, because when I was alive, the men didn't take me out, and now that I'm, when I die, they ain't taking me out. <laughs> so, if you wait for perfect conditions, you never get anything done. You have to make time. So, if you watch winds and clouds, you won't sow. And guess what? Then you won't reap. And if you don't sow so that you can maintain order and peace, guess what's coming into your life? Chaos. Boom. Confusion. Disorder will come to your life. So God gives you and me, He gives mankind two things, two gifts to limit chaos and maintain order. He gives us dominion. Gave that to Adam. And He gave seed time and harvest. And we still have them through Christ. Now, there are certain things seed time and harvest won't change. You have to take authority over those things. And there are certain things seed time and harvest is the only thing that will have impact. If you need more money, you've got to use seed time and harvest. Uh, If every seed reproduces after its kind, then you say, well, I'm just going to pray. Well, prayer is good. But prayer won't reproduce money. You have to sow. Give, it shall be given to you. Here's the principle. Sorry, you can pray till Jesus comes back, and you still be broker in the Ten Commandments. It's not going to happen. That's not the formula. If you want better health, you got to use it. You can say, I'm going to get the evangelist to lay hands on me and pray and rebuke this high blood pressure. But you're going to go right back to the refrigerator, and you're not going to change what you do, and so it's not going to do you any good because you need the law of seed time and harvest. You didn't get in that bad health condition unless you were in a car wreck. You didn't get that way overnight. You've been doing this for a long time. But everybody wants a quick fix, right? Yeah, oh yeah. So guess what? Televangelist got onto that real quick. So, hey, you sow your best seed today, and in 24 hours, if you give $1,000, God will wipe out your debt. You dummy. Does not say that. Does not say that. That's a miracle, I'll tell you. But I'll tell you how that works in just a second, okay? If you need a better marriage, you got to use seed time and harvest. You've got to. But the serpent, when he comes knocking at your door, you got to use dominion. In Matthew 14, the disciples are in a boat. Fourth watch of the night, the winds come up. Large waves threaten to swamp their little boat. It's dark. It's scary. It's storming. Once before, on another occasion, Jesus had stood up in the boat and said, peace, be still. He just told the wind, shut up, calm down. He didn't use seed time and harvest. He used authority. He used that dominion to establish order. Didn't Jesus say to you, believer, behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. God gave you a measure, a measure of dominion and authority. And you need to learn how to use that. For example, if I'm suddenly attacked by cancer or some other disease, I'm already in seed time and harvest with good diet, good exercise, good, good attitude, healthy, happy guy, lived this way for years, so I've been doing the right thing. Now, when something else attacks my body, seed time and harvest isn't going to help me because I'm already in it. I've got to use authority. I take authority over this disease. I take authority over this infirmity. You got, so seed time and harvest works for some things, but there's a few things where you have to use authority when the devil comes knocking. So they're in another storm here. Jesus is on the water, walking on the waves of the storm, and he tells the boys, hey, stop being afraid. It is I. And Peter says in verse 28, if it be. I reckon those three words have robbed more Christian of God's blessings than any three words in the human language, if it be. Look, Sparky, if God said it is, quit praying if it be. You're, you're just contradicting what God said. You're not going to pray in error if you pray what Scripture clearly stated. That's different. When Scripture is clear, you're not praying in error. You're coming into agreement with God in God's Word. God says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. We say, well, Lord, if it be your will. John wrote, brothers, I pray above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So I know God wants me to be healthy. 
I know God. In general, I know God uh, wants me to be healthy and happy and wise, and He wants me to limit chaos and uh, have order and peace in my life. And we say, well, Jesus was made poor that through His poverty we might be made rich. Well, Lord, if it be Thy will, prosper me. Well, hey, it is His will, but He's given you seed time and harvest. You can't be robbing Him, and you can't be a stingy person and have prosperity. It won't happen. It won't last long anyway. It'll leave you like a bootlegger leaving Alabama on Friday night. It'll be gone. Right. So Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat, and the dude walks on the water. Verse 30, but when Peter considered the wind, global terrorism, the strained government, the elections, he was afraid and began to sink. Now remember, Ecclesiastes said, he who observes the wind and regards the clouds shall not reap. And it says, and Peter began to sink. Now, here's a fact. In the law of seed time and harvest, you don't lose your harvest instantly. You lose it over time. It just begins to slowly slip away from you. Your life starts to dry up. The quality of your life begins to go down. The quality of your marriage, your finances, your health, your job, your kids, your relationship with God all start to drop. It's not instant. It's gradual. I've used this before, but it's the simplest thing. If you went and bought you a big old chocolate candy bar, and you ate that candy bar, and five minutes later, your rear end swelled up by two inches, you'd throw that candy down. You'd never pick up a bar of candy. You'd be terrified of it. It might be like a copperhead. You're not going to go near. Holy Moses, I'm never going to eat another one. But when you eat it, nothing happens and eat another one. And tomorrow, nothing happened yesterday, eat another one. And at the end of two weeks, you get up in the morning, go to work, and your britches won't button. And you wonder, what happened? It's been progressive. It's been little by little. Well, you can go up that way positively. You can go down that way negatively. It's not instant. It's gradual. Verse 30. But when he saw that the winds were boisterous, he became afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Well, at least he had enough sense to cry out to the Lord. Most Christians don't. They just act like they're not sinking, or we make up a doctrine for sinking, or we say it's the Lord making us to sink, when it's us. Okay? Give God credit when there's credit, but I think the devil gets too much credit for our insanity. I mean. You know, the devil starts off as a serpent in Genesis, and by revelation, he's a dragon. Somebody fed the sucker. He, he, don't make him that big. He's a powerful opponent, but he's not that big. So, we get the most out of seed time and harvest when we do what? When we stop observing the wind and clouds, waiting for things to be better, we stop considering the circumstances, and we just sow our best seed. So never allow circumstances to determine your seed time and harvest. You determine your seed time and harvest. If you allow others or circumstances to determine your seed time and harvest, chaos is coming back into your life. Y'all remember in 2008 when the country just went to pieces with the collapse of the economy? It affected the whole world, everything. Do you remember that? Charitable giving went down 40%. Now here's the interesting thing. Income did not go down 40%. People backed off in fear, backed off in doubt, looked at, oh, oh, I might not have enough. God might not take care of me. And they just cut their giving. But to me, if God gives me $20, He's getting two. That's just a tithe. That's, that's not the ceiling. That's just a floor. And then there's giving above that as you're able or you feel you want to do it. There's sometimes sacrificial giving. That's, again, a matter of your own heart. But I thought, the economy could go to hell in a handbasket, but if I got a check, God's still getting his tithe. What's, what's the big deal? And I talked to preachers around the country, and they all said the same thing. I thought, wow. And we get a tax deduction. Most of Europe doesn't get a tax deduction for charitable giving. I wonder what you'd give if God told you to give the tithe if you didn't get IRS tax credit for it, huh? I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to think about that. Okay. Number three. 
Another reason we don't see more results from seed time and harvest is just plain, unadulterated fear. Matthew 25, the parable of the the gold talents. Remember, one guy was given five, went out, multiplied them, made five more. How do you multiply things? You invest them, seed time and harvest. And the only way you get multiplication in your life is through seed time and harvest. Farmers would be out of business if they couldn't plant a seed and get back hundreds. It's called the law of surplus in agriculture. But look at another servant in verse 24. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent, your seed in the ground. And you need to know that often the one you sow into is not the one you're going to reap from. God promises to be the one who's Lord of the harvest. So I don't care who the agent is. I just want to be sure I'm doing what God wants me to do, where He wants me to do it, or to whom He wants me to do it, and leave the results for Him, not the person you happen to sow into. So fear comes into the human race when Adam sinned, and fear is one of the fruits of chaos and confusion. And if you allow it access into your heart and life, chaos is coming with it. So God says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, God has not given you a spirit of fear, which means I don't have to have it. Does it ever come? Oh, it comes to everybody. But I know it didn't come from God, so I'm not going to receive it. Here's, I'm going to use my dominion. I bind you, you spirit of fear, for it is written, and I'll quote Scripture to whatever that circumstance happens to be, to fight back. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, authority, for it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You can't do better than Jesus did. So why don't you do that? Quit sucking your thumb and calling 14 neighbors. Take some authority. And then be sure you're operating in the law of seed time and harvest. Well, aren't you afraid? No, fear comes to everybody. Brave people are not people who aren't afraid. They just do it anyway. They have kids anyway. (laughs) They saw your kids and they said, oh, God help us. Or they saw your marriage and they said, well, God help us. And He will help you. But fear keeps people from doing what God asks them to do. It's like, well, I don't know if I can trust God. Hey, the issue isn't, can I trust God? The issue is, can God trust me? That's the big issue. Where is your trust in? So some trust in horses, some chariots, but... The prophet said, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Number four. Amen. That's one prayer. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. Number four. Why don't we get more out of seed time and harvest? Because we live our lives being need conscious instead of seed conscious. We live seeing only our need. But remember what Genesis 1:29 said. Inside every fruit or harvest is the seed for the next harvest. Every farmer that harvests uh, this coming, this coming uh, springtime will, out of the harvest, take seed for next year's harvest. He wants to keep this thing going, right? And it's the seed that's going to meet your need. If all you ever see is the need, you'll never see the seed. Somewhere in your life today, there's a seed. Where is that seed? Everything's a seed. Love is a seed. Mercy, kindness, uh, uh, finance, uh, forgiveness. Uh, Those are all seeds. You're loaded with seeds. It doesn't look like much. Well, hang on. I'm going to show you what not much can produce. So God said in Genesis 1, 29 and 30, I've given you this seed for your provision. I've given you seed time and harvest for your provision. So, my question would be, where's your greatest need this morning? In that area is where you need to sow the seed for that particular need, okay? If you need mercy, sowing money is not how you get mercy. You be merciful. You sow mercy, you'll reap mercy when you need it one day. You sow kindness, you'll reap it. You sow friendship, you'll reap it. Everybody won't respond and be your friend, but he who has many friends must first show himself friendly. Well, that church is not—you stand against a wall, and you want everybody to come to you. Hi, I'm visiting today, or I'm new around here. Uh, My name's Bill, Bill Hammond. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Thank you, sir. You, You just strike up a friendship like that. You go after it. 
Young men, you want a good woman? Go after her, you lazy thing. Don't wait for her to find out your cell number and call you and hook up on Facebook. You look around this room and there's some good-looking single women and young single moms that are a trophy. And you sit back there sucking your thumb reading Facebook or something like that. You ought to be in pursuit of that which is good. I am. You ask my wife if I'm not a pursuer. If I see it and I want it, I'm going after it. The passive, the timid never get anything. God says, don't want you to be afraid. Don't be a coward. Don't draw back. Well, I don't know. She might not like me. Well, she might not, but she don't even know you. You better at least ask. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Ask. And ask more than once. She might get desperate. Ask again. (laughs) You can see why I shouldn't be on Christian TV, right? Yeah. Okay. So, when you say you got a need, you're saying you need provision. And where do you get provision? From seed time and harvest. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, Paul says, no testing has overtaken you except what's common to everybody. But God is faithful, who won't allow you to be tested beyond what you are able, but will with that test make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So I'm saying that every need that comes into your life, regardless of what it looks like, if you'll start becoming seed conscious, you'll start seeing the seeds that are right at your feet. And if you take those seeds, small as they are, and start planting them, you're going to escape that test. The truth is most people are not seed conscious. All they say is, I need, I need this, I need that, I need, I've got chaos in my life. But God has given you and me seed time and harvest to bring order and peace into our life. Train yourself to start looking for the seed. Now, they're very hard to see sometimes because they're really small. We overlook them. Listen to Mark 4, verse 30. And Jesus said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? Ah, it's like a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. Mustard seeds are as tiny as a speck of pepper, no larger than the head of a pin. And sometimes your seed looks so small, you and I mistakenly think it couldn't possibly meet my need. Take money. You need a hundred bucks, and all you got is five dollars to your name. One of the lessons I learned in my 30s was if what I have is not enough to meet my need, I turn it into seed. I let it go out and reproduce because I need a lot more. But if I just say I got five dollars, I got five dollars, I better not let go of my five dollars. I'm never going to get to a hundred. See, I'm need conscious, I'm seed. I said, what can I do to activate this law of seed and harvest? What have I got? What can I do? And do that. Don't compare yourself to anybody else, but what can you do? I mean, earlier this year, uh, a man who's been 40 years teaching people how to prosper around the nation uh, wanted to call me and wanted to, was going to be in some local city and wanted to come over and look at Summit. And uh, I said, I'd love to have you come over and tour. So we did the tour, and knowing that he was coming, we were, back then, it was over a year ago, we were tight financially, and I said, uh, I mean the church, and I just said, I'm going to do something. I had a little nest egg set aside that I would use for, you know, for birthday or, or anniversary or something for Cindy, a little, just something you just, a little slush that you put something in when you got a little extra. And I just went and took it off, just took it all up and put it in an envelope, stuck it in my pocket. And when we finally got out here, it was dark, we just had the light on, Nathan cut it on for me, it's just us two. I said, I'm going to ask you to do something. I said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. And I said, I honor the gift you carry and the anointing you carry. And so, I want to sow a seed, but not for me. I want to sow it for Summit. And I said, this is my money, not Summit's money. And so I took all I had, he didn't know what I had in the envelope, and I gave it to him. And I said, all I want to ask you to do is pray a prayer of blessing over this church. Cause our people to prosper, to learn to be generous, so there won't be lack or need in their lives. And I'm going to fight this recession. I'm going to fight this tightness of money. I can't fight it with something else. I got to fight it with money. What we need is money, so I'm going to sow in that area. 
Now, I can't sow for you, but I sowed for and behalf of the church. Now, if somebody presses money into my hand sometimes, it's nice, (laughs) but if sometimes they do that, if it doesn't meet my need that I have, then I, I learned I don't even pray about it. I just turn it into seed. I'll sow it into somebody else, their hand. Whatever, as I feel the Lord wants me to do that. If somebody sends me something, I will give it to someone else. Why? I want this sucker to keep going. I want that harvest to keep coming. But I got to keep sowing for that to happen. So in any area, now if I want, I can't, you ain't going to save your marriage with money. Your wife doesn't leave you because you won't buy her a brand new Mercedes or uh, a mink coat or uh, what did... uh, what did that girl get the other day? A 35-carat diamond ring from the billionaire? That ain't going to make her happy. That's not going to save her marriage. No, he won't talk to me. He's always gone. He never has any time for me. He's always watching TV. When I want to talk, he doesn't want to talk. He's short with me. Or he comes in late. That's why people get divorced. Yes. You know, so <laughs> you heard about the guy that was in the military, engaged to be married? He told his fiancée, sweetheart, I'm going to write you every day. So he went overseas and he wrote her every day, and she married the postman. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. whatever. (laughs) I don't know where these come from. I I have no idea. I don't know if God's in it or the devil. So you've got seed. You know, what did Jesus say when they had uh, 5,000? That's just counting men. And they couldn't, they didn't have food. And Jesus, here's what he said, what you got? Well, we got a boy with a Happy Meal here, but what's that among so many? He sounded like an American Christian. Well, what's that among so many? Jesus said, give it to me. He blessed it, he broke it, and they never ran out. You just have no idea how simple this is. Why, why is it we struggle over the simple? Well, I just don't know if God wants me to do that. I'd, oh, stay broke, stay poor, stay divorced, stay out of my way. You are a train wreck waiting to happen. God wants you to have order in your life, peace in your life, and to do well so you can be a blessing to other people. So God is saying, you've got a seed in your hand, and we say, no, 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 I need a hundred bucks. So that $5 looks pretty small compared to $100. So a lot of times we blow right by the seed because all we see is the need. Train yourself to start looking for the seed. I promise there's always, always a seed in your life. God promised you He would always provide a way of escape. He will bring a seed into your life. If you're looking for it, you'll start to see it in your health in your job, in your marriage, in your finances, in your relationship with God. Well, Rick, I want a better relationship with the Lord. Okay, get up 10 minutes early, get you a cup of coffee, read your Bible for 10 minutes, or read a devotional book for 10 minutes. That's no big deal. And we're willing to do the hard stuff, but we won't do the easy stuff. Now, if you hadn't been reading your Bible at all, how do you think you're going to read it an hour a day? That won't happen. If you hadn't been working out for years, you're not going to get out and run a mile. You're not going to bench press 400 pounds. You're going to pick up the pink barbells that are two pounds. And you're going to do this. You're going to start small. It's a seed. It's small. It doesn't look like much. And you know what? Pretty soon, you'll be going five pounds. Then that's no problem. You, you do your reps and say, well, I'm going to 10, and then 15, and you're up to 45. You didn't, it, and over a period of months, you're turning that fat into steel. And, and how did you do it? Two-pound seeds, just starting, just starting, cutting off, cutting off the dessert, maybe not eating so much bread, doing walking a mile or going to, over to the gym, doing an exercise. But it's not going to happen overnight. Your pants aren't going to fall off of you at one trip to the gym. I look at people in there the first of the year all the time. People wearing spandex who should never wear spandex. And I'm thinking, you know, you're just about five years late getting in here. It's going to take a long time. And I always admire uh, The Greatest Loser. I love those shows because they really have heart where people have let themselves go. They weren't born that way. They deliberately brought chaos into their own health by their own seeds, and the trainers help them get out. 
And it's hard. It isn't easy. But to see what they can become and watch their self-image go up, it's, it'll make you cry. It's so good. It's just, but it, you sowed yourself into it. Now, if you'll let me, we're going to sow yourself out of it. It won't be overnight, but we're going to get it out. We're going to operate in the law of seed, time, and heart. No secret. No secret. It's so simple. Number five, why don't we get more out of seed, time, and harvest? Because we sow sparingly. Sparingly. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, notice the guy who sowed sparingly. He's going to reap. Sure he is. But how's he going to reap? Sparingly. The word sparingly means stingily or reluctantly. So now a new law comes into the law of seed time and harvest. We've already learned from Genesis 1 that the quality of your seed impacts the quality of your harvest. Now we're learning that the quantity of your seed impacts your harvest. And third, the attitude which you sow it will affect your harvest. Your attitude is like fertilizer you put on the soil. The better the fertilizer, the better the harvest. Poor fertilizer, poor harvest. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Grudgingly means a downcast look of sorrow. When the, when the offering baskets come by, you look at it like somebody has just taken your 401k <laughs> away. A downcast sorrow. Terrible. Compulsion, that's where you're forced to do it. So I wonder how many times have you sown your seed reluctantly and grudgingly? God says, if you want a good harvest, don't do it that way. What if I said after 42 years of marriage, and I said, well, Judy told me today it's anniversary, so I went out and got you this. Hope you like it. Well, she's going to tell me what she hopes I like, too. <laughs> because that attitude, even if it's a correct answer, can change the way it's received. Your attitude. You can go, all right, your kids will obey us sometimes because they have to, but you know they don't want to, and they got a bad attitude. And an attitude is a choice. You're not born with one. It didn't come from your race. It didn't come from my, you chose your attitude. And so you can choose a good attitude. It's all choice. You get to decide what attitude you're going to bring. So everybody wants to reap bountifully. Everybody wants a good marriage, good kids, good health, good businesses, a good ministry. I've never met a guy with a good marriage who wanted a bad one. I've never met a guy with a large church who wanted a small one. Everybody wants to reap bountifully, and I mean everybody. I could take everybody in this room, Catholics, Protestants, uh, Word of Faith, Assemblies of God, anti-prosperity people, people who believe you ought to be poor. I could take all of you and say, today, on stage, I have a 1973 Fiat with 200,000 miles on it. And over here, I've got a, a 2016 brand new park itself Lexus. They're paid for. The title is with each one, but you can only have one. Which one do you want? Ain't nobody going to walk out of here with that fiat. No, you won't, you hypocrite. You will not. You want the best. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it's just to kind of show you everybody really does want a bountiful life and to reap bountifully. So, you choose your harvest. God says the reason we don't get more out of seed time and harvest is because of our attitude. We sow, but reluctantly instead of cheerfully and joyfully. You do it grudgingly, not from the heart. So there'll be a harvest, but it'll be a small one. And number six and last, a lot of folks don't get more out of seed time and harvest because they don't want to work at it. Psalms 126, verse 5 and 6, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those who continually go forth reaping, bearing precious seed, seeding seed, best seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the harvest with him. Now that 
verse teaches two things, and we're done. Number one, seed time and harvest is hard work. Ask a farmer if it's easy bringing in a harvest. It is hard work. You got to work at it. And there are people who don't want to work at it. They don't want to practice seed time and harvest. They just want a weekly miracle. But God didn't say, as long as the earth remains, there will be miracles. I believe in miracles. But miracles don't come like day and night, summer and winter, and cold and heat. However, seed time and harvest is available 24-7 every day. Now, I appreciate any miracle ministry. We've seen a few. But no matter who the person is, some people get healed, some people don't. You can't make a miracle happen on demand, or we always would. Anybody listening? For crying out loud, don't give your brain away. Miracles aren't listed in Genesis 8:22. You cannot live your life by miracles. It's too unpredictable. But you can live every day by seed time and harvest and have a great life. And personally, I'd rather live in a hundredfold harvest all my life than have to need a miracle. You may need a financial miracle, but I can't promise you that. I'll pray for you, but I can promise you, you can sow and reap your way out of debt. I can guarantee that. So a lot of Christians don't use seed time and harvest because you got to work at it. So they get manipulated and exploited by get-rich-quick schemes or by people in the guise of Christianity who say, give me a thousand tonight, empty your bank account, and in 30 days all your debts are going to be canceled. And nobody holds them accountable. That's not promised in Scripture. It used to tick me off. I'd turn a page and I'd see a miracle. And I'd just turn 70 years of a man's life in one page. Or another one, three in a whole lifetime. And we got this idea, you know, every day I got a miracle. <laughs> there ain't no miracle every day. You got to go to church to be that goofy. You really do. So they're afraid of me. They don't like this because I'm going to tell you the truth. I believe in miracles. And when there is no human solution, when there is no human solution, that's when you need a miracle. If there's an antibiotic, take it, dummy, and pray. But when there is no solution, and the doctors say there is no cure, or when there is nothing with which to make this happen, and you're praying out to God, that's when you need God to shut the mouth of a lion. That's when you need God to not allow fire to burn you. That's a miracle, baby. This stuff we're perpetuating around is not miracle stuff, big stuff. But most of our problems could be taken care of with a good dose of discipline, duty, perseverance, and seed time and harvest. And in time, after many days, in time, you can get back to a a good, healthy marriage, healthy financial situation. You can get your body under under control. You can get off all the medication that you're on, because not all of it, but a lot of it is self-inflicted. Therefore, it can be undone to some degree with seed time and harvest. But you got to work at that. You got to work at being nice to your spouse every day. Yuck. Every day. It's easy to be nice when your spouse is nice, but what if that ain't happening? Then you sow in tears. That's what it said, right? Yeah. You got to work at it. Man, I'm working at it financially, always thinking, what can we do? What can we sow? What can we, what can we give? What can we make happen for somebody else so God can make happen? It's, it's hard work. You got to be diligent. You don't always feel like it. This church, even 2008, we, we made sure we gave to the poor. We helped those that, that were homeless. We, we, out of our poverty, we gave when 40% income went down because of the economic crash, all kinds of problems. But I said, one thing we won't do, we won't stop sowing. Because we can't get a harvest if we don't sow. And so we did. And I'm suggesting to you to follow the same advice. And the number two, the last part, seed time and harvest requires diligence and effort. Harvest that grows naturally or that grows on its own, unattended, is small. If you compare that to a harvest driven by a man, every year oak trees in Texas drop thousands, hundreds of thousands of acorns. But over the life of that oak tree, how many thousands of acorns will actually make it and become an oak tree? Not many. But you get a man involved. Have him harvest those acorns, put them in pots with fertilizer and water them, and that man can bring an oak tree out of every single one of those acorns. 
Now, can you see something here? Seed time and harvest was designed for man, mankind. So it works at its highest level when it's driven by a man. You are the ones who can take it to 30, 60, and 100 fold. On its own, harvest of any kind left on its own will be very small. If you had to live on the wheat that grew wild, unattended by farmers, well, 75% of the earth would die. But we're up to 7 billion people because man drives seed time and harvest. When man gets involved in agriculture, he can produce for 30 people, one farmer. He's driving it, see? God's given us the power to drive that harvest with seed time and harvest. Tears remind us we got to sow in pressure situations. When your marriage is in trouble, you still got to sow. When you're in financial lack, you still must sow. When you feel unappreciated at work, I imagine Joseph did. I imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. You still need to sow. And what did the rulers of those pagan nations say about those boys? Well, they've got a more excellent spirit in them than our guys. And they're just slaves. They're captives. And they were made eunuchs by these, so they could not mate with the, with the harem women. That's what they did to the guys in those days. Hmm. Interesting. I'm glad that's not part of Christianity. Okay. Did you know that? Okay. A eunuch can't reproduce. And so, often the tears are in our eyes, that's when we forget to sow. But they that sow in tears, that's when you have the hardest time sowing. It's not easy to sow then. God said, in your most critical time, sow your precious seed, your best seed, your seeding seed. And seed time and harvest, God guarantees, will bring order and not chaos. It'll bring order and peace out of chaos. Are you sure, Rick? We'll read it. It says, shall doubtless bring his harvest with rejoicing. Now, I don't know about you, but I can build my life on a word called doubtless. How do I know it'll work? God said, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.